The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, and with me today is a special guest, Tyler Sigmund, Design Director of Darkest Dungeon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I uh, love the show title. I think that alone should <laughs> should get awards. It should be uh, an item over in Darkest Dungeon. It would be a really great trink- trinket, I think. Uh, that's, that's well-timed, because I'm in the process of... Uh, kind of going through all the backer design trinkets. There's about 400 <laughs> um, from our Kickstarter campaign, and I'm trying to get those launched later in the week. So maybe I'll sneak one of those in. <laughs> right on. Uh, knowing your game, the the Blood God would probably be a boss in, say, maybe the Wield? Yeah, actually, I think. Or or the um, uh, the Warrens, perhaps. <laughs> you know, where we've got the, the formless flesh. That sounds kind of a... Ugh. That sounds like like a blood god would, would be a nice little sidekick <laughs> for him. <laughs> yes, the blood god is just a sidekick in the terror <laughs> and the horror of Darkest Dungeon. There's levels and levels of horror. So, you know, not everybody could be top horror dog at, this, at, at once. Well, as I said, Darkest Dungeon came out yesterday, but it's been in early access for about a year now. Mm-hmm. I first discovered it at PAX Prime 2014. Um, I was really drawn in by the the look of the game. It's 2D, um, really striking art style, very dark. Um, I'm a sucker for any party-based, turn-based game. Um, I was like, this game is definitely for me. Um, so I've been playing it on and off for about a year now, but I've really dived in like... Um, hardcore this uh over the past couple weeks uh for people who aren't super familiar with darkest dungeon it is it's a roguelike um where you take very where you recruit party members who come in through a stagecoach you go into uh one of four dungeons in the game and essentially you just try to make progress and one of the big conceits of the game is that your party members they go crazy (laughs) they have a stress bar um, if that stress bar reaches the top level, they will become afflicted or, you know, maybe, maybe they'll find in some kind of inner strength and become strong again. Um, they can pick up personality quirks, both good and bad. Uh, many, many of them will die. Um, probably. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of, uh, there's a really like Lovecraftian element to it, I feel like. Uh, would yeah. you kind of agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's absolutely Lovecraftian and inspired, um, and and you know it's a it's a gothic horror you know fantasy, but we we take some liberties with you know our, the time periods that kind of inspired us, and you'll see in a way represented in the game range everything from basically dark ages on up to Georgian um, <clears throat> or maybe even Victorian, and um, you know and Lovecraft you know Lovecraft Poe things like that they do such a great job of kind of um, exploring that theme of of horror in the sense of you know psychological horror as opposed to just purely you know fear of being hurt, um, and you know you mentioned that the heroes kind of go crazy in the game. You know we, we we sort of refer to it as like it's all about response to stress, and what we felt was missing from um, a lot of fantasy RPGs, which we absolutely love, and it's you know we've been playing them all through our lives and remains you know probably my favorite genre of, of all of all gaming is is just the idea that that the heroes themselves you know what would it be like for them and we were we were inspired by 
things like, you know, uh, real life stories, you know, Band of Brothers, um, kind of, you know, war, uh, war stories in a way, as well as like other really effective um, movies and books like Aliens or The Thing, where what happens is not simply a matter of like you've got these wonderful heroes who are just, you know, 100% heroic all the time. And it's just a matter of can they topple the evil dark lords? You know, I think we felt it was far more interesting to explore, um, you know, what if they were subject to the common fears that we might have, you know, uh, you know, actual fear of death or not getting along with their party members or greed, you know, selfishness and uh, abusiveness and masochism. And so we wanted to take, you know, a, a fantasy RPG tactics game and layer that on top. And so instead of so much of them going crazy, we we look at it's like they're, how do humans respond to stress, and what would that be like if your your standard party of four adventurers, you know, were going through the things that soldiers would go through? Yeah, and when they, I, I can tell you that some of the stuff that you encounter in Darkest Dungeon would, in fact, make me go completely nuts. Um, I think we were talking about the the formless flesh mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that is in the Warrens, which is just. It's four pieces of melty pig, I guess you could call it. <laughs> and like the, it, like the melt, flesh will melt away to show its heart. And like you yeah. have to basically hack at it until it's dead. Yeah. We, you know, we, um, each, each dungeon region, you know, has, it, it's interesting with Darkest Dungeon and, you know, Chris and I have, uh, so Chris, who's, um, the other co-founder of the company, he's the creative director and artist of the game, um, and, you know, really responsible for imbuing a lot of the, the heart and soul of, of the, the theme of the game and really carrying that out in terms of, you know, how everything from, you know, what monsters and, you know, how they look and, you know, the art style, of course, and things like that. And so, so each region has kind of a backstory, but we're very light with story. Like, we don't hit you over the head with story, but we've spent a lot of time actually thinking about, you know, why these things have happened. So the formless flesh... And the swine prince, uh, or the swine god are the, are the, the two main bosses in the, in the Warrens. And the Warrens is kind of like your, you know, your ancestor was kind of dabbling with effectively genetic manipulation and all these kind of various forms of sorcery. And the Warrens are maybe where like all his weird beast man experiments were kind of like tossed, you know, flushed down the toilet <laughs> to like, okay, that didn't work. Let's, let's try to never do that again. And, and so yeah, the formless flesh is kind of like this weird, amorphous blob that that ebbs and flows during combat and you have to wait for these moments where the vulnerable parts <laughs> pop up but i think melty pig is is probably the best description <laughs> i've heard of it yet. <laughs> i'm gonna pass it's that like, on it's like a really dark version of teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah. you know they're getting thro- flushed down the sewer yeah um, and, and i remember like growing up i don't know it seemed like in the eight, 70s and 80s there were there was like a, a rash of movies about things flushed down the sewer that went wrong. Maybe, maybe there was just one. I remember the alligator or crocodile or something where, you know, they, they get a little crocodile as a pet and flush it down. And then it becomes this giant, like, 30-foot human-eating alligator, terrifying, you know, crawling the sewers of New York. <laughs> so maybe the swine prince is, or, or the uh, formless flesh is maybe the, extent, the extension of that. As we record this, I am currently in the middle of writing the review, and... One thing that kind of jumped out at me as I thought about this really hard is that Darkest Dungeon very much runs counter to a lot of what we kind of expect in a game. Like, you hold on to characters, right? Games want you to become attached to your characters. Uh, so many people were like, oh, I can't get into Fire Emblem because if a character dies, I have to restart. Uh, yeah. 
or the same goes for XCOM or that kind of thing. But in Darkest Dungeon, like the first lesson that you have to learn in that game is if they die, that's, I mean, move on. <laughs> they're gone. It's okay. Yeah. But it sucks, especially if they're like a character that you've put some investment into and they're good. Mm-hmm. But uh, move on. And I feel like the biggest mistake that people will make in this game is holding on too tight to characters who aren't necessarily worth the investment. Mm-hmm. They're like cannon fodder, right? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's definitely what we wanted to do. I think that, um, you know, most. Most uh, RPGs, party-based RPGs, are, you know, you spend a large amount of time at the beginning, um, you know, crafting your party. You know, I love, I loved all the, you know, I love the RPGs where you're like rolling up your characters and assembling. You know, I mean, this goes back to like Bard's Tale or, you know, things like that. Sorcery, um, you know, where you'd spend, um, spend all this or wizardry, excuse me, spend all this time like, you know, crafting your party because you know they're going to be with you for 40 hours. You know, the exact same for six heroes or, or gold box, you know, pool of radiance and all that kind of stuff. And so we thought it'd be interesting to look at it differently that, um, you know, you're a squad leader and, you know, you've, you've got all these objectives that you need to do, but, you know, you're, some of your people are not making it through the missions or maybe they're, they're burning out or, you know, becoming ineffective and you've got new ones coming in. And so your, your job is not to manage these four that you, you bond intensely with, but rather to figure out, you know, at what, what are you willing to sacrifice to accomplish the goals? And we, we see kind of two personalities, which, which are pretty interesting. You know, there's the, the people that are, are expecting it to be a normal RPG like that. And so they get their favorite four and, you know, they're trying to use them as their A team all the time. And then maybe they go in and have a party wipe or lose a couple of their favorite heroes. And they're just, you know, they're just beside themselves, like, you know, ready to quit the game. Don't know what to think, you know, and we love kind of seeing them post on boards because um, we do want you to feel that way, actually. We do want you to get attached. But, um, you know, they'll post up boards like, this happened, this is bullshit, I can't reload my save. You know, and there's always someone who comes in and says, you're looking at it all wrong. You need to look at these people as expendable. Here's what I do. Like, I'll send newbies in without torches and food and just, like, make them grind out the gold until, like, only one is left and then, like, take them back to town and pocket the winnings. You know, and people are like, you can't do that, that's inhuman. And... We're not so much recommending one action over the other. We just love that you can play it in a way the way you want. You can play it very cautiously and at all costs try to keep your favorite heroes alive. Or you can just treat them as meat bags that are you know, just just a, a tool to achieve an end. And um, It's pretty interesting to see what kind of inner, inner tyrant <laughs> come out from, from various players. Well, I just had a cleansing of my own party um, last night. Like I was... Looking at my roster, I'm up to like 21 roster spots. Okay, that's, yeah, that's pretty close to fully upgraded. Yeah, you really need to upgrade that stagecoach because yeah. you just need to have the biggest pool of party or, uh, party members that you possibly can. Especially because you you hit a real wall um, when you hit veteran, which yeah. we'll get to in a little bit. But um, I I was looking at some of the characters that I've got that have hit veteran. I'm like. No, you're not going to cut it. Too many negative quirks that <laughs> right. are just not worth healing. Sorry, you've been good to me, but <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, the dismissal is can be uh, an emotional moment sometimes. <laughs> you know, no, it was tough. I was like, oh, crap, I don't want to get rid of you. You're, uh, But you only got two positive quirks to like six negative quirks, and two of them are so bad that it's going to cost like 6,000 gold to heal, so no. Yeah, it's a matter of is your gold, you have to make those hard decisions of... Are your limited resources better spent on someone else? You know, and 
I mean, we, we also joke that, you know, there's parts of Darkest Dungeon that are like running a company, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, or being a being a, a team leader or a project leader, you know, there's times you're like, oh, well, you know, we, sorry, you know, we need to make cuts, you know, we've got, we've got to trim the budget, time to make cuts, and there's not a seat at the table for everybody, so who do you get rid of? Um, you know, and it's kind of funny to like, I guess, take, take those real world things that, which aren't funny in the real world, I'm just saying, and transfer them into a fantasy RPG setting. But, you know, I think going back to like a little bit, um, about the idea of losing heroes or getting rid of them, it's the hardest thing I think for a lot of people to get conditioned on when adjusting Darkest Dungeon is that, um, losing, losing heroes is not failure. You know, and I think playing most, uh, you know, if I'm playing kind of a traditional RPG, you know, and I'm having a battle or a boss battle or something, it's more about solving the problem. You you go in there and you try and it didn't work. You reload the same game and you try it again. Or Dark Souls, for example, you know. You go in and you try again, didn't work. And then you try a different tactic, equip a different weapon. And eventually you persevere and, you you know, there's a great sense of accomplishment. But, you know, with with, uh, with some games where you really reload the same game, there's no sense of loss. And I think, you know, the important thing in Darkest Dungeon is you're going to lose heroes. You know, it's almost guaranteed. And you, but you don't, you're not losing the game. And so when you lose, you know, a hero that's helped you accomplish a bunch of things, like maybe they landed the killing blow against the hag and, you know, and then you, you lose them in a level five dungeon, you know, they still, they still helped you get closer to the end game. And, you know, I think conditioning people that, that loss is not failure is, is something we, we really try to explore in the game. And once people kind of embrace it and realize that, you know, this is a war that is going to have casualties, um, of, of all types, then, you know, I think they settle in more and are ready to attack the problems of Darkest Dungeon rather than feeling like this isn't fun because I'm failing. Yeah, the graveyard, my graveyard is quite full at this point. <laughs> there's, there's a feature, so we didn't, we didn't get it in for uh, launch, but I'm, I, I'm sure we'll do it in a free update and I might as well leak it here is, um, you know, you can go to the graveyard and, and see, yeah, see your fallen heroes, and of course that's important because we do want to memorialize what happened, including you know the death stories. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen where it'll mm-hmm. it'll it'll tell, and that, that's a throwback to or that's a nod to classic you know like rogues, uh, roguelikes of just um, you know it's fun to see like oh they we died on level six against the slimes or you know perished of hunger or whatever. Um, but we want to have something where you can go in and throw flowers at the graves of of your fallen heroes. You know maybe spend five gold and we. We, we show a little uh, flower animation and just, you know, we find that people like to, yeah, they, they like to honor that they're, they're fallen. I'd love to do that because I have a couple of heroes that I ended up losing, including this one highwayman who was like on his way to being really good. <laughs> and I completely screwed up and he died. And then I didn't get another highwayman for ages. Oh, no. But it was okay because I kind of learned how to do different party comps and that kind of thing. So I was like... Well, I moved on, but every time I see uh, his, like, every time I pop by the graveyard and see his story, I go, oh, God, that hurts. Yeah, you know, you get a lucky, you get a sort of a lucky recruit or a lucky set of quirks, and you've got this perfect hero, and, um, you know, we, we like that that puts you in this uncomfortable decision sometimes of maybe they're wounded, and you're you're close to completing the mission or the quest, um, you know, but your favorite hero's like almost on death's door. You know, what do you do? Do you save your favorite hero, or or do you like persevere and finish the quest? You know, for the greater good. And that those kind of uncomfortable decisions are are really what the game is all about. So, talking kind of a little more about the fail state aspect, um, the one thing, the one way that Darkest Dungeon differs the most from a traditional roguelike 
is that there is no like real fail state, at least not in the regular game. In mm-hmm. New Game Plus, you can in fact fail yep. and have a game over. Um, so in theory, you can just keep going. And I know that that's been a little bit controversial among the community. So I was wondering if you could kind of address that and talk about your reasoning behind not having any kind of fail state in the regular game. Sure. Yeah, it was really important. Um, you know, we've, we, we're, we do a lot of things in the game that, um, yeah, there's permadeath, uh, you know, as we mentioned. So you, can, you can't reload and, you know, recover your favorite hero. Um, you know, there's procedural dungeons. There's all these, you know, pieces that make it a roguelike. Um, but we felt with overall campaign progress, one thing we wanted to avoid, like like I just mentioned that loss is not failure. And that, that was really important for us, like creatively, uh, is, is essentially one of the one of the pillars of the game is, um, you know, we're going to beat you up and we're going to put you to t- tough decisions. And, you know, the game is the game is unfair in its fairness in a way, you know, like like things can happen. You can make all the right decisions sometimes on a quest and still have things go against you because, you know, they're just like, you know, poker is, is like one of the best references that we use. Um, but what we didn't want to add on top of all that is you're. 23 hours into the game, you know, 60 weeks into the game, uh, whatever it is, 60 game weeks, I should say. <laughs> um, and we didn't want to do something where, you know, you've invested all this time and then you have a mission or a quest go poorly and get a party wipe. And now you've actually lost your entire game. Um, now, New Game Plus, you know, you can opt in for that, and that's fine, because by the time you're, you know, New Game Plus unlocks after you complete the, the main game, and we feel like that's okay, like people opting in to this kind of severe challenge, um, but we're already doing enough challenging things in the game that um, we, we, didn't, we just didn't want you in that situation. You know, we want you in the situation of, like, that was a setback, and I'm going to, you know, rally myself, and maybe I'll be steamed for an hour that I had a TPK on my favorite heroes, but... You know, when I wake up tomorrow and co- get home from work or whatever, I'm going to get back in there and, and take down the swine prince. And that, we see those stories all the time. It's one of our favorite things to see. It's like, I'm having fun. Oh, I'm having fun. Oh, God, I had a party wipe. I hate this game. It's so unfair. And then the next day, like, I beat him, you know, in celebration. So, but we just think it's going too far to, to have you, you know, 98 weeks in and you've got two weeks to finish the game and then you have one bad bounce and now you're like, I've wasted 50 hours of my life. You know, we, that's just not something we wanted to explore. Again, New Game Plus, I think opting in for it, you know, there's a contingent of the community that really wants that. And so, you know, that was our way to kind of provide, um, Dark's Dungeon, I mean, it's been an experience. I'm sure you've probably been up on some of the early access events, but, you know, there's, there's a huge range of people that actually are really enjoying the game. And sometimes that can be hard to, uh, to satisfy, you know, people who want it always harder and some people want it easier. But what it really came down to is just what, what was, what was our creative, you know, what did we want to do creatively with the game? And we want, we wanted to put you these hard decisions, but not, but not ruin your entire progress. So, you know, that's just kind of design direction and, and creative direction. So let's talk a little bit about the actual character classes. Um, I forget the exact number that you have. Uh, you have your currently 14. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kind of lost count of them, but so you have, <laughs> you have your traditional party members. Like you have the, the crusaders, like, you know, you know, your knight mm-hmm. and you have a vestal who's your healer and a plague doctor, which is your kind of def- damage over time and status effect guy. Mm-hmm. And then you get into some of the more esoteric girl classes, <laughs> uh, je- jester. 
Uh, Jester, yeah. Um, the Leper, which is my personal favorite. Oh. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we started out and um, we wanted enough familiar, uh, you know, because we were starting from a point of traditional RPG, you know, we some of the earliest character designs were, yeah, the Crusader and, and the Vestal, you know, are, are probably the most traditional. But even in that original grouping, the Highwayman and the Plague Doctor, we felt like, you know, that, that was us kind of stepping out and trying to establish a specific identity in terms of um, some kind of different things that you don't see in a lot of other games uh, or a lot of other traditional high fantasy RPGs. Um, but where we felt then we really started hitting a stride is, yeah, things like the the leper is something Chris and I both talk about is just things gelling. Um, because it was really, you know, I think one of the reasons it's my favorite character is just that the, I mean, the character design is amazing. The, the what he What he is... You know, the fact that this this sort of like, you know, um, just it's very dark and, and gritty and the idea like that one of your heroes, you know, is, is this leper. It's just interesting because, you know, you uh, everyone wants to be super heroic and, you know, we, we're trying to present this broken cast of people that have, you know, come up to the hamlet for various reasons, seeking their fortune. And, um, you know, some of them are a little more traditional, but some of them are just really out of left field. So, yeah, the jester and leper are, are good examples. It's like a Star Wars cantina. Yeah. Wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> yeah, well said. Uh, that's interesting because I, I feel like the leper has kind of gotten short shrift um, among the community. A lot of them are like, well, the leper, you know, he's not as good as the crusader mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. Uh, so we don't usually use him. I mean, I know that I've seen him in some party comps. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's one of the definitely what I would say um, towards the lower tiers of of how the community looks at him. Um, I would say that like the people that are pro leper are like extremely pro leper <laughs> and you know, he has his specific, like his, his main thing is like super high damage, but low accuracy. So he, he's a, you know, he's a Babe Ruth home run slugger um, type type thing, as opposed to, you know, he's not the person that consistently, uh, you know, hits a single and, and gets and moves, moves people along. You know, he's the one that, that might win the game for you. But I think that um, he still, is probably one we're going to look at uh, retooling a little bit more. I mean, he has had a couple adjustments, but we'd like to see him maybe consistently used a little bit more. Um, Although, you know, I, I, I don't mind so much the fact that um, he's controversial, you know, in that regard, not, not in terms of his subject. I just mean his, his mechanics, but you know, we want to make sure that our goal with all the heroes is that there should be, there should be specific circumstances where you say, Oh man, that hero would be really good. Um, and we're absolutely fine if some of the heroes are not consistently as good across all, you know, like some, some are, are good for the versatility. You know, Highwayman, I think, is pretty versatile, um, you know, because of he's, he's good in almost any rank. Uh, so that, you know, that, that makes him really useful. But, you know, Plague Doctor, for example, doing blight damage isn't going to be as effective in, in regions where they have a lot of poison resistance. Um, so, you know, our goal is just that there should be cases where you think, oh, yes, that hero. Or, or just personal, you know, personal attraction to the character designs is important too. Yeah, one of the things that I kind of had to learn was that there's not a one size fits all party, really. Like, you really kind of have have to optimize for each dungeon because, like, if you go into a cove without a plague doctor, I mean, I think you're going to be okay, but mm-hmm. you're probably going to be in for a, a hard time if you're just going to try to brute force it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like he did that intentionally to just be like, 
yes, here is a like a definite niche yeah. for the plague doctor so that he can like use his blight and all that stuff um, uh, really effectively. Yeah, definitely. And um, a, a tiny aside, but the plague doctor is actually a woman, although. All right. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the goal with the regions and the characters are, are to have mechanics that are dominant. Um so that, you know, we want to ultimately reward you for, yeah, the, the party composition is, is I think, one of the neatest uh, parts of the game to explore or to experiment with, you know, is saying, okay, what group of four heroes uh, work well together and where? And so we want to, we definitely wanted to avoid feeling like each dungeon is samey, samey, and you have this group that works well together and they can work perfectly anywhere. Um, so, that, you know, the Plague Doctors, you had a great example of um, really good in, in the, the crypts and the cove. And, you know, before the Cove launched, because we added the Cove during early access, um, you know, the Plague Doctor was was pretty maligned. Um, just, you know, part of it was balanced for sure. Like, we had to scale up some of her... her uh, and there's actually still a little bit more we want to do there as far as balancing the, the damage over time, so a little more. But, but yeah, dropping the Cove in, um, you know, it was high on our minds to make use of those other mechanics. Because the goal was always to have two regions that are kind of blight-dominant and two that are bleed-dominant. Um, and so, you know, be, when we just had the three regions, then obviously it was a little bit out of whack till we could get that content in there. There's some characters who are like really intuitive to use. Like <laughs> I think a lot of RPG people can be like, yes, I know what a Vestal is and I know what a Crusader is. <laughs> but there are some characters that I had to really kind of learn how to optimize, like the Master at Arms, the Man at Arms, Master at Arms. Uh, Man at Arms, yeah. Man at Arms. Um He's a big tank. Uh, he doesn't really hit out. He's just a tank. He mm-hmm. does defense. He does reposts. He um, uh, he will buff your party. He's really good for buffing your party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like he can be a little tricky to use properly because like I think like just figuring out like okay what do I want to do on these turns? Um, yeah. The same goes for the occultist. Uh, okay. I had the hardest time like figuring out okay what in what circumstances does the occultist like thrive and i found that you know hitting at the back ranks and then just marking everything so that uh my arbalest and hound master can go out and take out all these guys uh yeah it's it's interesting like the the kind of the rabbit hole that you can go down with the these characters, especially the abomination. I feel like that's um, <laughs> that's a really tricky one to use properly. Yeah, I, I you know, we we each each hero class has uh, seven um, seven combat skills that you can pick from, of which you know you can map four four in at a time when you're in the middle mm-hmm. of the dungeon. And so we, we wanted, yeah, we wanted some of them to feel that. Uh, I mean, th- that's another part of, I guess, the. What what I think is is should be fun about the game is experimenting with the skill loadouts. Um, you can kind of invest in upgrading different skills in such a way that you know you can spec out a, a hero of one class you know in multiple different ways. So you might have one um, one highwayman highwayman that you've you know you've increased his bleed you know his bleed attack a bunch, and the other that you're just focusing on you know his pistol shot or whatever. Um, and so between the fourteen classes and then the, the fact that you can spec out differently we wanted there to feel like there's a lot of possibility space there and and yeah some of the heroes so like man at arms or like you're saying occultist 
we want it to feel maybe not not immediately super obvious of how to use them greatly. You know, and you, like you should have to experiment and go on some runs and have some failures and successes, and then and then again in context of grouping them with, you know, it's really important who else you're grouping with. You know, that I think that I think aside from progressing through the game, you know, should be kind of a, a fun part of, and also trying to break the game. I mean, we love we love seeing people. Hey, I did four hand masters and you know or whatever <laughs> and destroyed the game. Um, so you know that that's fun to watch, and it's it's a challenge, of course, designing for. But that's an intentional one, like that. We wanted it to feel that way, and um, and I lo- I love that some of the classes are more controversial or maybe not as loved because of that. You know, the occultist, like people who want a sure thing, take the Vestal because she heals reliably. Um, but the occultist, you know, has the uh, he, he can heal really well, or he might backfire and you know give a zero heal and cause you to bleed. So. You know, just uh, that's a personality type thing again, where someone who's super cautious and you know is probably going to choose the Vestal, but someone who likes to swing for the fences might bring the occultist along. And then, of course, like there are other skill differences beyond just the healing differences that that would uh, lead you to take the Vestal over the occultist or vice versa. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's that stuff I get super excited about. You know, is there were times when I, I was cursing that we were doing four, 14 heroes, <laughs> but um, just because of the amount of work. But it's absolutely, we wanted to do that for a reason. We wanted to feel like, holy cow, there's just so much here. And each time you go to the stage coach, you're like, you know, come on, Hellion. I really want a Hellion. <laughs> um, you know, and then so that the heroes are loot. You know, we used to kind of say internally that, you know, going to the stage coach and looking at who's available that week should feel a little bit like a treasure roll. And like you were saying, like, oh, man, I couldn't get another Highwayman for weeks and weeks. And we don't do anything, you know, people have asked. We don't do anything tricky where we decide, like, you're not getting Highwayman or whatever. Um, you know, it's just the, you know, the, the cold dice uh, that are working there. But um, I don't know. I, I think that's neat, you know, if I'm waiting for a leper and don't get him for a while. And then finally he shows up, but he's got some weird quirks. I'm like, well, I guess, a, I guess this, like, <clears throat> leper who's addicted to gambling and, you know, gets... I, as a kleptomaniac, I guess that's the one I'm taking because, you know, there's no others around. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons Darkest Dungeon is so completely in my wheelhouse is that I just, I love experimenting with party comps, which is one of the reasons that I've also always been a big Pokemon fan. Oh, cool. Because yeah. it's very similar, except only instead of having 14 monsters, you have like 700 of them. But having that big pool of characters to play around with. But you said that the Plague Doctor and the Leper are in line for a little more work. I'm wondering, like, which classes are you kind of like, okay, this class is in a good place, and which classes do you think could use a little more work besides the, the Leper and the Plague Doctor? That's a good question. Um, so we we did a round of changes uh, recently, you know, last month, and then we just snuck a few more changes in. Um, in well, in this fall release, we snuck quite a bit in, actually snuck maybe isn't the right word <laughs> yeah we, i know you changed holy lance and now like my crusader setup doesn't work anymore <laughs> i know that that's one that yeah we'll, we'll have to see how that goes um but you know part of it was um i know it's it's always touchy when you change classes right because there's someone out there that's using the exact thing you're touching and you know it's just not re- realistic to always be increasing everything there's times you got to scale things back but uh yeah we did a bunch of camping changes which many of them uh, i think were were positive like we looked at a lot of abilities that felt underused um and so generally i will say in general we try to make things better rather than nerfing but there are cases you know where we have to nerf um 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the abomination was uh, which launched, you know, not that long ago, um, was con- is was overpowered, so we had to do a little bit of nerfing there. Um, and the leper we wanted to look at, but we just kind of ran out of time. Um, and I didn't want to I didn't want to rush something in that wasn't like well, you know, well thought out there. Um, so yeah, I think I think looking a little bit more maybe about just making sure that um, dots. Uh, are still in line with kind of just raw damage, which has always been a little bit of a, a trade-off. But you know, over if you look at kind of like the timeline over the last six months or so, like or maybe even nine, I don't know. We've consistently, yeah, we've sort of scaled up some of the dot um, damage and then had to look at resistances. Because the thing with the, with the damage over time is like there's an initial to hit roll, then there's the resist roll, and then the damage gets applied, and so that double. Um, I think it was in last month's patch, or maybe the one before. Yeah, I did a lot there uh, to deal with that double, um, that double issue. And in fact, now like mo- almost all uh, of the damage over time skills have extremely high accuracy, just to make sure that what what we're really balancing is like how resistant somebody is. Um, but you sh- you should hit a lot of the time, um, you know. Whereas before, it felt kind of unsatisfying that. You know, you're you're trying to hit them with a poison, and they might resist it, and sometimes you miss. And, you know, then it just feels like, you know, there's two levels to go through. But I, th- I think um, that's just mostly history. I think most of that is addressed. But um, there's a little bit like, you know, looking at Hellion versus Highwaymen um, because they have some similar skills and trying to make sure that one is not always dominant over the other. But I would say that the classes, I think, are in a pretty good spot. I mean, we're, you know, we're not we're not Dota. Um We've never set out to make each class exactly balanced with the other classes. I think that's like a really important point that a lot of people maybe don't assume. Um, but to us, a class is a combination of you know their combat abilities, um, their camping abilities, and their versatility. You know, not just say raw damage output, but you know some some classes have really good move that you know if they get out of position, they can get back into position in one move, or they have skills that actually have a move component. You know, and so it's not always about, um, I think a lot of feedback sometimes we'll see is, you know, this class does more damage and what this other class should do more damage. But, you know, it, it's a lot more nuanced than that. Uh, that being said, I mean, what early access was great for is, I mean, we had months and months and months of taking in feedback on classes. I mean, we did, I think it was November, October, November when we brought on our community manager. Um, you know, we did a, we did a huge community discussion on how people felt about the class tiers. Um, you know, or the the classes and how they were ranked, and we'd already done a lot of adjustments before that. But yeah, in this last set of couple patches, last two months, I'd say um, we we did a bunch directly re- directly relating to that of just getting community feedback about you know where they felt. So I think things are in a pretty good spot. There's always there's always room to adjust, and there's still party comps that will break the game and things like that. But um, so we're we're not done, but. Um, you know, we don't we don't feel like, oh, man, there's like this glaring hole right now that's ruining the game. I think that was really important for us to feel good about that before we we went into full release. Last question really quickly. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Jester and what are your plans for that class? Because I, I, the consensus among the community seemed to be that the Jester was probably the weakest class up to this point. You know, the Jester's received quite a lot of love recently, and then mm-hmm. um, even a few tweaks in full release. And I'm seeing um, Jester kind of went through, yeah, he, the Jester was went through his own story arc. Like when we first launched him, his stress healing was so powerful that people could do dark runs with Jesters and just laugh off, you know, all stress. 
and and so he was overpowered. And then we had to kind of nerf him, and then it was like, oh, the jester's totally weak. Nobody uses him. And so we've been gradually like building him ba- uh, building him back up. And you know, we, we're going to collect some data on this fall release now because we did, yeah, we did a few more changes with him and his camping skills um, in this in this release. So I mean, I'm optimistic that he's in a good place, um, and I'm seeing lots of reference to people using jesters, um, you know, for their for one of their main purposes, which is um, which is stress reduction, and especially like just like a jester abomination party because abomination cause part uh, stress. So I mean, that that's what we love to see is like situational use, like okay. I want the abomination for his power, but I'm going to bring a jester to help counter some of the stress, and I'm able to get through, you know, without getting afflicted. Uh, but we we did purposefully increase a bit of the jester's combat abilities to make sure that he continues to be. I mean, the jester the jester is one of Chris's favorite classes, and so we've he's gotten a lot of love over the months in terms of trying to make him feel interesting. Like he's got all these movement that's related to his skills and this idea of the way his skills change to get chained together, almost like a musical number, you know, like. Like building up and then doing the finale and then kind of getting debuffed and going to the back and then working his way back up and so I, I think if you were to like time lapse watch the jester being played he's he's one of the more interesting classes just because he's hopping around and doing different things. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, let's talk a, about the structure of the game. Okay. Um, I guarantee that one of the biggest uh, criticisms that Darkest Dungeon is going to come in for is oh. that there is a really steep climb to level three uh like the veteran dungeons because mm-hmm. you get your party members hit level three and then they can't go into apprentice level dungeons anymore because that's too easy for them yeah and a lot of people will be like all oh, right i'm up to level three i can now go into a veteran level dungeon mm-hmm. and then they go into a veteran level dungeon and they die <laughs> yeah because they are not ready and I've I've tried a veteran level dungeons a few times, and every time like it'll be like my party will be near stress, max stress, mm-hmm. and they'll be really hurt, and I just kind of run out of gas halfway through. Yeah. And having read up on the subject, it's like, oh yeah, you definitely want to get your blacks, your your party members like weapon abilities up to like level mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. And you need some really good trinkets, and basically you just need to keep bringing in new guys to do the lower level dungeons so that you can grind up and invest into your higher level guys. Mm-hmm. But for I feel like for a lot of people, that's like, oh man, that's such a grind. Holy crap. Especially because uh, upgrading your blacksmiths requires deeds, and deeds are kind of few and far between, mm-hmm. it feels like. So mm-hmm. I wonder if you could comment on that a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a couple different things at play there. Um, one is I'd say that s- some of the wall is intentional, um, not all of it. And what I mean by that is, is yeah, one of the things you know, people kind of fall into having their A team, uh, which which is good. But you know, like we were talking about earlier in in this podcast, you really need to build up more than four heroes, you know, and, and especially the way the in-game is structured, which we can get to because, you know, now the Darkest Dungeon is in the fifth region and you can actually win the game. Um, you know, you can't win the game by just having your A-team and, you know, always keeping them safe and kind of feeding them resources and then go, be, you know, go win. You, you're going to need to build up multiple sets of, of heroes. And so what that level three wall does a little bit of is forces you to realize, okay, actually, like I need to grab another four and you know, and crank out some low-level missions and keep building up my estate. Um, you know, so that that part is kind of intentional. It's also intentional that, um, I mean, the game is the game is hard off the bat. There's a learning curve, of course, um, 
And so at level three, there's, there's kind of another jump in the learning curve where we start bringing in some other effects. Um, we start, you know, doing some other things and requiring you to like think, think about party comp and things like that. But I, I think that, um, Part of the wall is unintentional in that um, we've done quite a lot over the last number of months to improve monster AI um, and add some other interesting effects uh, to monsters as they as they level up. So, like you know, when you see a um, a monster in a level one dungeon and then you you go to the veteran dungeon, they might have like a slightly different um, effect rider on their attack. You know, they might cause bleed now or they might you know debuff you and things like that. And so, a lot of those features have come in um, in the last couple months. And I think that we're still in the process a little bit of um, accounting for that. And so, like, for example, in, in the push we did yesterday right before launch, like, we actually took down the stats of the veteran monsters a little bit um, because we had, you know, now collected enough data off the last patch to to be able to kind of, concur, you know, infer that, okay, people, the wall is a little too steep right there. Like, we do intend you to kind of hit it a little bit and, and um make you think about things, but it's not supposed to stop you dead. Um, you know, we want an escalating series of, of, uh, sort of strategic thought that's required, but not just pure, <laughs> pure abuse. So, you know, I think that's something we'll continue to look at, especially with the massive amount of data that's coming in now with everybody playing again. That's extremely helpful. Um, you know, the game is out, but it's not done in this. Sense. Well, sorry, it's done, but it's, we're not done adding to it, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, we're, one of the great things about kind of the way games are deployed now is we'll continue to, you know, make some tweaks based on the large amount of people going in. And so I, I think that, you know, the, the wall is partially intentional, but it doesn't mean there's, there's not a little bit more of, of adjustment that we want to do. Um, I, I can probably guess the answer, but what was behind the decision to, when you get to a veteran level, um, you're essentially fighting the same bosses again. So, uh, so the apprentice version, you have mm -hmm. the apprentice necromancer, and then the veteran version, you have um, the regular necromancer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the champion level, I, I yeah. don't know, necromancer, super necromancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, their their names change, and then their you know their um, brains get smarter, and then also you know sometimes they get more uh, effects on their abilities and things. Was that was the decision to kind of recycle these bosses um, a matter of like, well, we're a small team and like developing a whole new boss is really freaking hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is an area where um, our roguelike elements and heritage kind of show. You know, I th I think that um, you know compared to say, well, it's it's a ridiculous comparison, but just you know, with The Witcher or something, which is a, a full on traditional RPG where, you know, you're progressing through new content constantly. And we, we knew from the beginning, based on our team size and also what we were setting out to do, um, that we, we weren't doing that. We weren't, we weren't taking you on a series of 30 quests, um, each of which is unique with its own different plot and, you know, that sort of thing. Like, we, we designed the game knowing that the quests themselves are somewhat uh, repeatable. You know, it, it's procedural layout, with um, kind of like a, a finite number of different types of quests that you're going to do and, you know, we building around growing up your estate and things like that. So, you know, kind of like, you know, a little bit more like a rogue legacy than a, than a witcher, you know, type thing. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things we're excited about is people, some people don't really think of darkest dungeon as, as a roguelike, um, you know, they just think of it as an RPG. And so then, 
yeah, then sometimes that might be a little perplexing, like, wait, wait, I'm going down there and fighting uh, the swine prince again? I've already fought the swine prince. You know, but... No, he's the swine king. Well, yeah, then he's the swine king and then the swine god. <laughs> and, uh, hey, but you get your chance to have revenge on Wilbur multiple times. That's way Oh, gonna... God, I hate that. I movie. know. But, yeah, we, you know, it, it wasn't practical for us to come up with, I mean, a lot of, we're a small team and a lot of work goes into each of those things. And so we tried to design things that were interesting enough to be repeatable and hope that people would, um, it, yeah, it's instead of like, you know, every time you're going down, you're getting unique dialogue and unique like quest plot points and things. It's more about, um, you know, continuing to figure out how to use characters effectively and going in and using them again and kind of toppling these challenges um, as, as opposed to purely like a story experience, um, if, if that makes sense. So, so yeah. Oh, I always knew it wasn't going to be a pure story experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I mean, there's some, you know, we, we were, you know, we have one illustrator who drew everything you know we've got we were a small indie team and that was intentional mm. and you know we didn't want to do something that was going to require 40 people um, that just would have increased the risk we think maybe would have diluted the experience so we you know from the beginning we structured the game in such a way of something that we could produce with a team of you know five-ish people it's a it's a really long path to the darkest dungeon um and kind of the end game is having multiple parties of like level mm -hmm. six characters. Level six is the max, yeah. uh, with like max trinkets and like good quirks that have locked in. Yeah, yeah. And that requires just a huge amount of grinding in this game. Uh, so I, I, I feel like it appeals to a certain kind of person who's going to have like a real OCD sense of I am going to have like the ultimate team, like multiple ultimate team people and mm -hmm. then also uh, also have the patience to get that far um it, <laughs> yeah. like i said very long road uh, it feels like you, you guys kind of built it around well longevity i suppose yeah it's it's hard to say i mean i think like one um that's an area that we're going to be really intensely looking at the data of um you know, one thing that you don't have to do, like, for example, to win the game, you know, you got to go through this series of, of four quests in the Darkest Dungeon. Um, you don't necessarily have to do the level five boss. I call them level five. I guess the, the champion level bosses, you know, you, you know, so there's like some content that's optional, I guess, like how much you want to kind of grind it out and do and check off all the caretaker goals and, you know, pursue all the achievements. Um, and then there will be kind of like a different path, which is just like what is the most efficient way to get to the end game and win. Um, but when we were in early access, you know, we didn't have the end game in place. And so uh, we wanted to make sure there was enough that you could you could sandbox for a long time. Um, and part of that, I think, was uh, making it, you know, difficult and rewarding in itself to, for example, get a hero to level six, um, you know, the and, and things like that. And I think now that the Darkest Dungeon is in place, like one of the things we did even since, um, well, I think you, you probably got the press build on Friday. Um, something we pushed in just yesterday was like a, a reduction in the amount of experience that it takes to get heroes leveled up. Because one of the things that really we just, quite frankly, just need like a larger amount of data on is how often are people failing the Darkest Dungeon missions how how much does that result in 
significant amounts of hero death. And then, you know, how often do they have to retrain heroes to get back in there? And our goal is, is to make sure that it's not a game that takes, you know, 80 hours to complete. So, um, you know, I think that's an area where, um, we'll continue looking a little bit of like balancing, but, but yeah, it's not an eight hour sort of uncharted sort of, you know, blast through and see the end game cinematic and go from there. It, it definitely takes a while, but I think, you know, I think given that it's an RPG and things like that, you know, I would love it if it's completable in, you know, in under 40 hours. Um, and then some people might decide to check everything off and spend 80 hours in it and then do new game plus and then get buried. But, uh, we don't intend it to be a game that you have to be a min-maxer. And, um, I mean, that, that, that may surprise you, but, yeah, that's not actually our intent. Um, although we, we like it that some people really do that and spend a lot of time looking at exactly what trinkets and party comps. But, um, you know, we I think that once you get part of it under your belt, then you can still have a fair amount of success even without necessarily, like, you know, going to the wiki constantly or something like that. Um, but, you know... So again, like what it takes to complete the darkest dungeon, I think we want to we want to tweak those kind of XP requirements, um, maybe even a little more, just to make sure that it doesn't feel too grindy in the middle. You guys got a huge amount of systems in place in this game. <laughs> yeah, uh, just having it to a point where it's a coherent and b like not completely broken is pretty impressive. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's been really fun. Like I, I think. Uh, I love systems design, and this game is, yeah, there's a lot in there, and um, that's been really fun to work on, and sometimes a little maddening to try to keep all all the plates spinning, but I think one thing we are really happy about is that it it is all working together. You know, it's, it's we had to build a traditional sort of tactics RPG as just the base in order to layer on the things that are unique about what we've done, the affliction system. And, and then of course the fact that like the, the way we've done the combat, the 2d, the 2d line, you know, or almost like 1d combat in a way, um, you know, just rank positioning, uh, that that's been fun. So I think one of the things like I can just say from my perspective, that's been interesting to work on the game is I feel like we're, we're innovating in a lot of different areas and I'm not using that as so much a, patting us on the back, I think it's just more been a fun challenge to be like, okay, we're taking this traditional thing and we're going to twist it. And then we're taking this and we're going to twist it and take this and twist it, you know? And uh, I think it's, if there's something I'm proud of is that, yeah, it's all held together. You know, the, the car is managing to drive down the road despite like the, you know, all the different odd pieces that, that, uh, and there's probably a few areas where, you know, we're like, okay, well, maybe if we had do over again, we would make that part just more traditional, not innovate there. But as a whole, I like it that there's, it's different. I think um, I've there have been times where I'm like, uh, this is too much of a grind. There's no way that I'm going to be able to get to the end of this game. But then I'm like, I, I feel like each run is like its own story, yeah. and there are a lot of micro goals going on, mm-hmm. and because each run can be pretty intense, like. Where you could at any time just really run afoul of the RNG gods <laughs> and all of a sudden you're super stressed out or like a character just gets like crit in the face like twice <laughs> or like three times and yeah. suddenly they're like death's door and you're like, Oh my God, everything's going horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, or balanced with those moments where everything does actually go right and you have a super like huge sense of satisfaction. It's like, yes, I'm, I'm making these like steps in progress toward. Uh, an ultimate goal like that has really kind of kept me playing and it is 
frankly been really addictive. Um, cool. I, and the, the other thing that I think is pretty nifty about this game is, I mean, talking about the systems again, like you got your party composition and then you got on top of that, you got the ranking system where you have, you know, where, where in the ranks do I want to put my character? How do I like incorporate that into my strategy? And then on top of that, you got the stress. And then on top of that, you got the quirks <laughs> that can like change so many of your character mm-hmm. stats and the trinkets and the leveling up and camping, tactical camping, which I, I'm pretty sure is the, the, hopefully the world's first tactical camping <laughs> mode. Uh, very dark souls. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad, There's, but yeah, I mean, camping and then town, you know, camping and town are both a bit board game like, and, and that's very intentional. Um, you have to really think about your about camping when you're doing your party comps. Like I, mm. I feel like it's something that's initially overlooked. Yep. But a character like the Man at Arms has such powerful camping abilities that it's like uh, you really have to take that into account when you're going on to say like a medium or a long run. Yeah, I think you know we when you when you're on the short quest, you know where you start the game and that's very intentional. There is no camping, and you know part of that's learning curve. Like we, we there is a lot to throw at you and. Um, we want you to get a handle of like how do I group characters together and go on a quest and how do I do combat and how do I deal with the affliction you know and stress and then we like ta da here's camping and um, and yeah I mean like like I said a little earlier I think we've we backed off a little bit but we originally were starting like we wanted to do some classes that were just terrible at combat like basically dead weight but amazing in camping. You know, and we still might do that with the with the merchant, uh, which is a class that we're going to be adding in a free update. Um, but uh, you know, that's an example of like how important to us camping was. That you know, it should be this key thing that um, you know, like like an example that I love to see is when people camp to prep for a boss battle. You know, they get close to the boss room, then they camp, they they do all the camping skills that are like you know, like plan takedown with the bounty hunter and all these different things, and they go in there and just wreck the boss. And, you know, that should feel satisfying. That should feel like, yeah, this, you know, we, we navigated the horrors of the dungeon and then we grouped up and steeled ourselves for this big fight and then we took him down. And, and yeah, it is overlooked maybe a little bit initially just because it's, it's this other phase of the game that you don't realize is, is crucially important for sometimes the success of, of the whole quest. There's only one mechanic that I haven't really been able to grok. Mm-hmm. And I, I was wondering if you could explain it to me. Uh, resolve. Yes. <laughs> How does that work? Sure. Um, so resolve is basically, um, you know, it's XP. So we've got resolve XP and then that determines your resolve level and all, all resolve does. Well, all it does. Um, it determines basically your stress resistance, um, as well as, um, limits like what upgrades you can, you know, put on your character. So for example, you can't upgrade your, a weapon beyond a certain point until you hit that resolve threshold. So, so it's a little bit traditional in terms of upgrading. It's traditional as, as normal level. You know, people like it's it's effectively character level. But uh, the other big thing that it's doing for you is yeah, determining your stress resistance. So effectively, if you brought, you know, resolve level zero hero into a veteran dungeon, um, then you know stress is going to be magnified. Like something that would normally do ten stress to you might do fifteen. Um, and, and it works on each individual level. So like when you're level zero heroes, that's straight out of the stagecoach. Like they haven't been on a single quest. You take them in and every bit of stress that gets applied to them is, is amplified slightly. And then when they get to level one, for example, um, and then if you're in a traditional level one quest, 
then whatever the nominal stress that would be applied is is the same. It's not amplified. So if if a tempting goblet is going to do 15 stress to you in a level one quest and you're a level one hero, then it does 15. But if you were level zero, it might end up doing 18. And if you were level two, it might end up doing 12. So effectively, it's it's you know this all ties back to just the idea that the more experience your heroes get, you know, the, the more they've seen and and they're a little bit like more steeled to the sorts of things that will happen. I will say, by the way, that if a skeleton threw a goblet of black goo in my face, <laughs> I probably would have a heart attack and die. I know. And you know, we love that it's it's mysterious. Like, what is it? Is it wine? Is it like <laughs> weird skeleton juice? Um, I think one of the funniest stories we heard, this was, I think, I think early in early, yeah, early access, someone tweeted that, um, I, you know, I think I think it was like a, a boyfriend and girlfriend who were like they played the game together, or whatever. And I think the girlfriend came in with a, with a, a mug and then just like threw water on, on her boyfriend. It was like tempting goblet. <laughs> oh my god! Oh uh, my god! That's the worst. The the skeleton courtier. He's one of my favorite characters in the game. I, I think like the leper. He was this moment where. Um, for us, like it, it embodied a little bit what was different about Dark Dungeon. You know, like we had our normal skeletons, which have swords, and they attack you, and they would be terrifying because they're skeletons. But the idea of this guy that, you know, they were having some sort of, you know, sort of Poe-style banquet where everything went horribly wrong, and now he's still in his like revelry coat with his, you know, with his fancy noble's hat and his little goblet <laughs> that he was, you know, at this party, and now he's a skeleton. Um, I don't know. I just love that, and so. Yeah, and the, the that move, Tempting Goblet, has been a favorite for sure. Well, fa- favorite as far as you know, kind of f- interesting and funny, and I love the theme. And but of course, people curse it because he, he's he's a stress hero. I mean that you know he's a stress archer effectively, and you know that's part of the game is we want you have to worry about your your stress meter as much as your health. And so the idea that someone that a monster doesn't do very much physical damage to you, but He's right there at the worst possible time to make your hero afflicted. You know, I, I like that. I'm sure the listeners are going to roll their eyes as <laughs> I keep heaping praise on Darkest Dungeon. But I, I think the thing that just has continually drawn me is the sheer sense of style in the the presentation, mm. um, the narration, uh, the monster designs. Uh, the fact that it truly puts me in the moment and makes me think, oh, yeah, no, that would definitely make me go crazy. <laughs> Stuff like the Shambler, uh, which is like a, a true, uh, Lovecraftian, mm. Cthulhu-esque character, like down to the fact that the background is going crazy mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, it's just a joy to look at. It's, um, it's, it, it really defies the trend toward, uh, boring and safe, uh, and summer blockbuster-esque graphics. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, the, it's a really great team. I mean, there, like a lot of things you mentioned are so, you know, Chris, um, Chris Barasa, the artist creative director, you know, has obviously done an amazing job establishing a really unique vis- visual style. Um, and that, that's been definitely instrumental to our success in terms of like the game kind of has two hooks. It's got the hook of, whoa, it's an RPG with all about the psychological stress, you know, which is, you know, when I describe the game to people, that usually hooks them. And then, but we still want people to get hooked just by seeing a screenshot, you know, before they know about the stress system, before all that. And yeah, I think Chris has done just an amazing job of, of that. And like, you know, we wanted the game to look different because we can't compete with The Witcher 3 or with someone else like that. So it's gotta, it's gotta look different than other things on the, that are out there. But, but, you know, that, that's kind of from a marketing standpoint, but just from a creative standpoint, 
we're trying to make everything work together. You know, it's a dark, gothic, gritty, you know, everything for the mechanics to the visuals to, yeah. And I mean, I, I enjoy looking at it too. It's been really fun to the art, you know, Chris and then um, like Brooks, who's our animator and effects artist, like they've just done an amazing job. Um, the narrator is incredible. The music is great. The audio is, you know, and I, I'm just saying this from a standpoint of kind of enjoying <laughs> it myself because I don't do any of those things other than, you know, help write some of the narration lines. But um, I think what it all comes down to is like we've been really fortunate on this game and this team to to assemble a, a great team. And, you know, I think that's, to me, that's the difference between like this and a lot of the, say, the other games I've worked on is just like this is by far the best whole team that I've ever been a part of. And we've been really lucky that, that everyone's just kind of firing on all cylinders. And um, the narration thing is fun because Chris and I, when we made our announcement trailer, um, you know, we we wanted to add narration just to kind of help establish the like the idea of the game, but at that point we hadn't really thought about including it in the game itself. And um, we were listening to these audiobooks read by this guy Wayne June, and they're H- these H.P. Lovecraft audiobooks. He's got this great deep voice, and you know, just perfect for the story material. And we were thinking we got to get someone like Wayne June to narrate our trailer. Like, we, where can we find a voice actor like Wayne June? You know, we just got to do this. And then it just dawned on us, why don't we ask Wayne June? Because he reads things for a living. <laughs> we could probably pay him to do this. It was just a really dumb mental leap. But, you know, we, we so we contacted Wayne June, who had never done any, like, video game voice acting. And he was so good on the trailer that we're like, we have to write him into the game. And that was one of the best decisions we made was, um, was kind of doing the Bastion-style narration and... It remains, yeah, it's just, it's fun. Like, I was looking at our YouTube video. We released our trailer, you know, on Monday, uh, the release trailer. And the YouTube comments are almost just a stream of people quoting narration lines from the game, you know, just over and over and over. And it's really fun. Or you go to a Twitch chat and people are just, you know, overconfidence is a slow and insidious killer, you know, just spouting. Uh, or this morning, like, I, I was looking at Twitter and I just see that tweet from Total Biscuit that's like, um, you know, Enemy shakes and confidence or confidence surges, you know, one of the lines, and then you know gets response from another couple like you know game reviewers with other just lines, and that's been fun because you know it's fun for us, and Wayne's done such an awesome job of of narrating, and it's definitely enhanced the game. So I think I think creatively, like all that stuff has tied together, and you know I don't know I I really am feel fortunate to have the team we have, and that that's really what it came down to. So. Yeah, and Chris, I mean, Chris, as, aside from his illustration, his creative direction has been just amazing, you know, and he he's tireless in trying to make sure, like, all those things tie together. Um, and, and, of course, like, it, it, yeah, design's involved, everything's involved, but, you know, it's 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 good to have a really, I, I think, strong creative risk-taking approach. Um, you know, I always think back to games like Limbo, you know, which looks very visually different, or, mm. you know, and when you're making, I think small scale games. I mean, I mean, any games really, but we can't rely on wowing you with just sheer amount of resources that we've thrown at the problem. Like, you know, um, so we, we need to kind of take a strong creative stance and we, we always said it's not a game for everybody and we'd rather appeal intensely to us, to an, a niche audience than be, you know, lukewarm and milk toast and try to appeal to everybody. And, um, you know, so that, that's been important and we've, 
it's not always been easy and we've paid the price in some ways, but um, certainly trying to like make a really strong creative statement has been important to us. So uh, I think you guys have been working on this game two, three years at this point. Mm -hmm. It's been in early access for a year. Um, what have you kind of learned about RPG design and <laughs> that kind of thing um, in that time? Wow. Yeah. Gosh. A lot. I mean, RPGs, you know, I love RPGs. And I love systems design and I've had the opportunity to be involved with some stuff like that before. But I think that, um, you know, one thing I've learned is just like the amount of resources it takes to try to do all the different systems that we're trying to do at the same time. And one thing that's been really helpful is to kind of gradually scale our team up a little bit over time. Um, I think it was really important to have a small, a tiny team at the beginning. And, you know, as early access went on and then, you know, pushing into full release, like, um, brought on some other people to kind of help um, help with with some of the things and you know it's just it's it takes a, a lot of effort I mean that's not really I guess that's not really new we've made a lot of games before but I think that um, yeah you said two we're coming up on almost three years when we set out we were going to make a really small scope highly focused game that we thought we'd get done in 12 to 18 months and uh, you know we're coming up on we're probably at 30. 32 months right now or something like that. Um, so, you know, that's pretty typical in game development too. And it's funny because, you know, I always say, well, think of what you're going to do and double it. And, you know, that's why we got to 18 months. We're like, well, you know, I think we can do this in like 12 months, but it'll probably 18 worst case, 24 months, you know? And, and <laughs> so, but I think, I think uh, that's all come about because, you know, when, when we've seen, we've been making traction in a certain area or, or, you know, the game has gotten a good response, then, at each of those checkpoints, it's been worth kind of investing more in terms of time and resources and and all that. And so it's been a labor of love for sure because um, you know we could keep working on it forever. Like we just had to at some point say, well, let's 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 finish it. You know, these are all the features that complete it. And then hey, you know, if there's still an audience, let's keep adding cool stuff and look at doing expansions and doing some other things we want to do. Steam Workshop and you know the idea like we might do a pure rogue a pure roguelike mode or maybe daily challenge you know there's all these different ideas we've been having and um and certainly it's an rpg so the expandability is like limitless like more dungeons more monsters more heroes um and i think the fact that like there's still a lot of ideas to explore in it is exciting because um th that was one of the reasons we made this game in the first place is every time we talked about it we just like couldn't stop ourselves with all the ideas and you know, where sometimes you have a game idea and then you start exploring it, you just hit a hit a brick wall. And this just feels like there's so much more we could choose to do too. So that's that's fun. And you know, hopefully I don't know about exact future plans, you know, beyond the fact that we've committed to some free updates to put in some more of the Kickstarter stretch goals and things like that. But you know, as long as people are loving Darkest Dungeon and you know, we'd love to still do more with it. So so it sounds like you guys are definitely not done and you got a lot more on the plate <laughs> for people who enjoy Darkest Dungeon. Yeah, we've got a few more things. Uh, like I mentioned, there's a couple of things that are kind of Kickstarter related that um, are on the immediate short-term plate. Um, and, we're, you know, we're looking at rolling out a roadmap for those things. And then, yeah, you know, we've got a great, a great burgeoning modding community that we've always you know, we, we're on the record as saying that we would love to officially support and provide more tools to, uh, you know, if, if people have already done some really interesting stuff modding wise, although we don't, you know, officially uh, support it for various reasons, but we will. 
And, you know, I think that's exciting to think of like the things that people might create. Um, and then of course there's other things like we've, we've already announced we're bringing it to PlayStation 4, bring it to Vita. Um, you know, other platforms are possible. We'll look at those things, you know, um, we're, you know, we're doing an art book for Kickstarter, but we'll make that art book, you know, we'll probably sell that, um, to other people too. And, you know, there's, so it's exciting. There's a lot that we want to do. We're definitely, uh, we don't get a completely go away and rest yet. We've, we've got some more that we want to do first, but, um, we definitely want to hopefully rest a little <laughs> because we're pretty tired. Well, remember Tyler, overconfidence <laughs> is a slow and insidious killer. Oh man. I, I think that's one thing that, you know, I, I hope, uh, I just know for internally from developing, I don't think there's ever been a point where we felt like, oh yeah, like this is yeah overconfident that way. I think we've always approached this development from a kind of nervous standpoint of of feeling like every day we got to show up and do our best. And even after uh, what was a resoundingly successful early access launch, I mean, we we really have thrown it. You know, we never stopped working to early access, and it's been a ton of work to get to where we are here. And but it's, I mean, we love the game, you know, and it's. It's extremely rewarding to see people playing it, having a good time. So, I mean, we we we're counting our lucky stars right now, as far as all that goes. Tyler Sigmund, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, your game Darkest Dungeon is now available over on Steam and I believe Good Old Games. Yep. Um, I have really been enjoying it. I'm still playing it. I wish I were playing it right now. Uh, it's it if nothing else, a fantastically original and creative game, and I strongly recommend it. Um, in the meantime, really appreciate you coming on the show, and good luck going forward. Thanks so much. It's, yeah, my pleasure, for sure. And now we come to the end of our episode. Thanks again to Tyler for coming on the show. You can find my review of Darkest Dungeon over on usgamer.net. Suffice it to say, I really enjoyed the game. You should definitely check it out. I strongly recommend it. In the meantime, the next game I'm planning to review is going to be Final Fantasy Explorers. Uh, sorry, I misspoke. Jeremy is going to be reviewing that, but I'm going to be talking about it on the podcast. I'm going to get some people on the show. I had a chance to play it. I have some thoughts, and maybe you can look for a few thoughts as well on the website. In the meantime, Axe of the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. Please check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore catbot. You can go find us on all of these social media channels under either U.S. Gamer or U.S. Gamer Net, including Facebook and YouTube. Um, we did kind of a cool thing on YouTube recently where we all attempted a to get as far as we possibly could in Super Mario Brothers without getting hit. And we made a little bit of a contest. We called it One Hit Wonders. So you go check that out on our YouTube channel. Um, in the meantime, I've been Cat Bailey. Thanks again to Tyler one more time for coming on the show. And until next time, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.